Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Today, we're going to give you the proven secret for getting the very best from your team, no matter if that team is in sports, business, parenting, personal relationships, or life. Here's the most important thing our listeners want to know today. Everybody wants to feel a sense of belonging. This idea of knowing that we belong, it matters. And that kind of climate is something that we call psychological safety. And it's something that we need. And we need that in every aspect of our life. What is psychological safety? Why is it so important? And what can you do to supercharge the team around you? Stick around and we'll find out. The purpose of this podcast is to foster discussion, not to provide advice. The information shared should never be used as an alternative to obtaining personalized advice from a healthcare professional. And listeners should seek such advice independently if they have any questions related to their physical or mental health. This podcast hosts different viewpoints and the opinions of the speakers do not necessarily reflect the views of HPE. Hi there, I'm Bob Peacock. Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. A couple of years ago, we produced an episode of this podcast about the keys to unlocking a happier, healthier life. In that episode, Dr. Brad Shuck, an internationally recognized expert in the areas of engagement, leadership, and employee health and well-being, was our featured guest. To this day, it remains the most listened to episode of HPE's Straight Talk for Real Life podcast. So if you haven't heard it yet, you might want to check it out. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome back Dr. Brad Shuck. Brad is a professor and program director of the Human Resources and Organization Development Program at the University of Louisville in Kentucky. He was also among a group of scholars who were invited to study gratitude with the John Templeton Foundation. His research has been featured in numerous publications all over the world, including Forbes, The Washington Post, and Time Magazine. Brad, welcome back to the podcast. Bob, it is such a pleasure to be back with you and the HPE team today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, last time we spoke, we talked about gratitude, compassion, and self-care, and how those three elements can lead to better physical and emotional health. In this episode, we're exploring something else that can also greatly affect a person's happiness. This subject is so fascinating to me because it impacts just about every part of our life. As a manager, as a team leader, or even as a parent, I want to know that recipe for bringing out the best in everyone on my team. And research has finally shown what that secret ingredient is. Is that right? Yeah, Bob, that's exactly right. And I love how you framed this up as something that impacts every every piece of our life, whether I am a leader, whether I am um, a parent, whether I'm a spouse, whether I'm any place in our life, this idea of psychological safety is really, really important. And here's what we know. I think here's the most important thing our listeners want to know today. Everybody wants to feel a sense of belonging. And our research continues 
to play that. And when we think about what is really driving the currency of culture and how people are feeling about their work and how people are feeling about their home life and their communities, this idea of knowing that we belong, it matters. And there's this there's this confidence that comes along with believing that your thoughts and opinions really matter. And that kind of climate is something that we call psychological safety. And it's something that we need, and we need that in every aspect of our lives. Research is kind of clear about this, that this is not, um, this is not on the fringes. This is something that really matters to employees. It matters to everybody. In fact, in 2019, Gallup uh, did a poll, and they uh, indicated that only three out of 10 employees strongly agreed that their opinions counted at work, that only three out of 10 people said that they believed that people listen to them. And so if we're trying to get the most innovative ideas from our team members, I mean, get the best solutions and we want the best engagement, this idea of psychological safety is absolutely critical. And, and there's a bonus here as well. These same principles, the principles that we're going to talk about throughout this episode, they apply to our personal lives as well. And so look, if you want a happier, healthier family, you want stronger relationships, you want your kids to thrive, then we have to make our families psychologically safe as well. So if research says that only three out of 10 employees believe their opinions matter at work, the default way of thinking, the way a lot of people think is my opinions don't matter. So what is psychological safety and how does it change that default way of thinking? You, you want to create an environment where people feel they belong. I get that. But it's more than just being nice to each other. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, one of the things that we talk about when we think about psychological safety is it isn't about rainbows and unicorns all the time. It isn't about just like playing nice all the time. But it's also not about being cruel. And I think about how lonely it feels when I don't feel like I can raise my hand in a meeting because I don't think someone cares about my opinion. It is, look, this idea of psychological safety is about inviting people into conversations in ways where they can be themselves and they can be candid. It's about creating an environment where people believe that their thoughts and their opinions matter. And so as leaders, as, you know, from my perspective, as a dad, as a husband, it's about listening. It's about inviting and creating an environment that allow people to express their ideas and creating an environment where and this is important. They don't feel like they're going to be judged or criticized for speaking up. And I think as leaders, that's that's really important to lean in. Do we create the kinds of environments where people believe that they won't be judged, even if they know we might disagree? And that happens at work sometimes, right? I think this is also, and I think this is an important point. This is particularly important for members of our work communities and uh, and our personal communities who have social identity groups that may uh, traditionally been historically marginalized. And this idea of belonging is directly connected to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In fact, one survey found that nearly half of all female business leaders, they face difficulty speaking up in virtual meetings, and one in five reported being overlooked or ignored during video calls. This reminds me of some research that we did several years ago about dysfunctional work environments. And we asked people, what is the, what is the one thing that happens to you that just feels really traumatic and, and, and it impacts you personally? And 
what we found was that people told us that when they felt ignored at work, that that was a particularly traumatic experience. And so knowing that one in five might feel like they're being ignored is, is an amazingly alarming number. On the other hand, and, and on the other side of that, people on the autism spectrum, they may also feel this reality. People who maybe uh, tend to be more introverted sometimes. We have got to think about everyone with this, that sometimes people may need extra time to express their thoughts. And as leaders, it's important to make sure that they have that time. So it's about creating an environment where you you listen to everyone, you get their input. But as a team leader, what happens if you really disagree with something that someone is saying? How do you disagree without damaging psychological safety? Uh, I, is it... Is it about responding appropriately versus reacting? Is that fair? Yeah. And so I think the word here really is around intentionality, right? And what is my intent? And and how is how is that conversation unfolding in real time? And there's some there's some training that comes along with this around how we create environments that are open enough and flexible enough and intentional enough that invites someone. I mean, think about if I disagree with someone and I'm willing to express that, that's a very vulnerable vulnerable place for me to be. But if I'm, if I'm in a psychologically safe environment, I am willing to raise my hand because I believe and I trust that when I share my opinion, that opinion is going to be valued. At a minimum, it's going to be heard, right? And sometimes at work, psychological safety is about being seen and knowing that not only am I seen, but I'm, I'm valued in that moment. And so leaders, they have to, perhaps sometimes there's a, there's a measured response. They're like, Hey, thanks for that opinion. I really appreciate that. That's really helpful information. Hey, it's a, it's an interesting perspective. Um, where psychologically unsafe environments would be where someone would just shut that down. And we've, we've seen this. I mean, I, I've seen this as a, as a faculty member, uh, shutting, I've seen faculty members shut down students really quickly. They demean them, they belittle them, they talk about maybe um, how silly their comment was. And those same principles work in the workplace as well. And when people feel like they're going to be belittled or they're going to be judged or they don't feel like it matters, then they stop raising their hands in meetings. And that's a really psychologically unsafe environment. Sure. Does psychological safety include things like job security? Not, not really. Um, it might be rather about a leader who's more transparent and honest about how maybe work needs to change or how these things are impacting a company. And we've seen this play out over the last couple of years. I think for me, psychological safety is about those things that I can trust. And trust is about repeatable behavior that I, that I'm going to experience. And so if I'm being transparent and honest about how work changes or how these changes might affect the company or, or me, I think that creates a sense of safety. Um, and it's, it's using words and actions that let people know that they matter. And so our responses and meetings, our proactive communication, those things really matter. And Again, it is so much about what we can trust and what's reliable in our lives. When things are inconsistent, they can feel psychologically unsafe. And we respond appropriately and proportionally to that. 
Is psychological safety a new concept? It's it's not particularly a new concept, although it has become mainstream in just the last couple of years. We started looking at psychological safety uh, in the in the early nineties, and Edgar Schein and Warren Bennis were some of the first to really talk about that. Amy Edmondson's work in team psychological safety has really propelled the concept into a mainstream a spot. But Google did a multi-year study a couple of years ago, it was about seven years ago, called Project Aristotle. And here's what they wanted to know. They wanted to know what makes a team more successful than another team. And to do that, Google conducted around 200 interviews and talked with Googlers all over the place and looked at more than, get this, 250 attributes of Google Teams. And here's what they say, that it's not as difficult as you might think to build a super team. As long as you have certain conditions that create the kind of environment where people feel safe and they're confident, again, that their thoughts and their opinions matter here, that there's a sense of belonging. That this is the kind of place where they can take risks and they don't have to fear embarrassment or rejection, exactly what you were just talking about. And it's something that we call psychological safety. This is what it is. This is what Google found. And they they go on to say this, and I think this is awesome, that it could be the key. I mean, psychological safety could be the key to unlocking a team's successful future. And I, I think about that, again, as a, as a team member, as a leader, as a parent, as a husband, as a community member, as members of other kinds of things out in my own personal community. My, my ability to know that I belong, to believe that I belong, could be the key. And that's amazing. Google Google's research showed that there are really five key dynamics that set up teams and they set them apart from others. The first was dependability. And I think this goes back to the trust piece. Can we count on each other to do our best work on time to have each other's backs? Like, is there a sense of reliability, like a repeatable dependability here? Number two was structure and clarity. And when I work with leaders across the world, the idea of role clarity and goal clarity and plans, sometimes those things can be really unclear. In fact, uh, Gallup has done a lot of work in this area where they ask people, do you know what's expected of you at work? And oftentimes the answer to that question is no. And so it, if, if number one is depend dependability, number two is structure and clarity. Number three, are we working towards something that matters? Does Is there a sense of purpose here? Does this at the end of the day, as what I've spent my entire workday doing, does it matter? Is there, is there something bigger? Number four, the impact of our work. Do we believe that the work that we're doing here matters? And so not only are we working towards something, but we believe that the end goal has a sense of noble purpose to it. We get a chance to impact something. So not only does my work matter, but my work matters and it impacts something in the long run. And then lastly, number five was psychological safety. And essentially they define this as, can we take risks without feeling insecure or embarrassed? And this sense of, can I take a risk without being insecure or embarrassed? If the answer to that question is no, we don't raise our hand. And, and we may never raise our hand. But if the answer to that is maybe, or yes, or I feel supported here in this moment, then yeah, we, we raise our hands and we share. I think what is really, I think interesting about this one, this Google study, which has really helped us understand 
like how you create teams that just far surpass their counterparts is that when they looked at of these five things, dependability, structure, um, meaning, impact, and psychological safety, psychological safety was by far the most important ingredient by a long shot. And they, they kind of concluded that people, their employees, Googlers needed to feel a sense of belonging and a confidence that the team won't embarrass them, reject them, punish them, but instead will see them, value them, and kind of honor their space. And as a result of that, their teams, they flourished. And I want to talk a lot about how we create that environment. Sounds like it would be fairly easy. Is it more difficult than it seems? Am I missing something? What are what are some of the barriers? Yeah, so I like to talk about this with a principle that um, that I call the cumulative principle. And the cumulative principle is grounded in the things that are easy to do and easy not to do. So, f- uh, for example, sometimes I'll work with leaders and they say, I want to be more mindful. And I'll go, oh, that's amazing. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wake up 10 minutes earlier than you did yesterday or today. Uh, and I want you to journal. I want you to, for five minutes, just write down, like, here's what I'm going to do today. Uh, write down three words you're grateful for. And if you have some time left over, just kind of sit in silence for a minute before your entire house wakes up. But I'm just asking you for 10 more minutes. And they go, oh, that sounds that sounds really easy to do. I'll go, oh, yeah, it is. And then tomorrow morning comes and the alarm goes off. And guess what? You know what's easier? the snooze button. The snooze button can be easier. And and so it's it's easy to do these things, but it's also easy not to do them. And many of the things in our life are governed by this idea of the cumulative principle. And so for me, when I think about the way in which we interact with each other at work, it is easy to create a psychologically safe environment. It's also equally easy not to do because there are um, sometimes there are positionalities in place. There are intersectionalities. There are there's power at play. There's there's egos at play. And so it is about the small moments and how we treat each other every day reliably cumulatively that works for us. And so psychologically safe environments don't just poof. You can't turn them on like a light switch, but they build gradually over time. And at some point you'll be sitting in a meeting and you'll be like, man, everybody's contributing here. This feels amazing. People are raising their hands and there's a lot of synergy here. Well, that that seems like it was easy to get there, but it was intentional in the moment. And it is being aware and attuned to making sure that we're treating each other with a sense of dignity and compassion, and we're reinforcing messages of belonging and purpose. Those two things are particularly important right now. I think there are many companies around the world and perhaps even groups within companies where managers and leaders are holding on to the old idea that fear drives success. But this is a new era and we can see the value to building trust and valuing the thoughts and opinions of everyone at the table, right? And I've heard that. I've personally heard leaders say, I use fear as a leadership strategy. And I just want to be clear, that does not work. 
It doesn't work. It won't work. And when we think about the future of work and, and how the future of work is unfolding, fear is not a tool in a leader's toolbox. It's a tool of a bully. And so if fear is something that we've all experienced, we know, we know from those moments that they create psychologically unsafe environments. And so I think it's important that we think about psychological safety as a, as a tool that we can use to help workplaces kind of lean into what the future may look like. You mentioned uh, Amy Edmondson. Harvard mm -hmm. Business School faculty member. She's written and spoken a lot about uh, psychological safety. And she, she says, we have an epidemic of silence. It's the dog who didn't bark, the employee who didn't speak up with an idea or with a question or a concern. Something goes wrong with a product and they go back and they ask to see what went wrong and they'll talk to the employees that developed something. And an employee will say, I had a concern about such and such. And when they ask, did you voice that concern? A lot of times the employees will say, no. And Edmondson says that it happens every day, but it's invisible. So we as organizations don't catch it and correct it. Are you seeing that in your own research? Yes. Um, and I want to, I want to go back to something that you just mentioned it, um, about speaking up. And I, I think about connecting back to that cumulative principle for a second. You know, sometimes it's, it's as simple as speaking up for another person. And, and what I mean by that is perhaps something happens in a meeting or something happens in an interaction at work. And, and we see that as an, as a team member, going back, circling back to that person to say, hey, you okay? You good? Or sending an email to just encourage that person are some of the little and small things that we can do that will, um, I, I think it'll help that epidemic of silence. Because I agree with you. I, I think I see that all the time. I mean, how many times have we been in a meeting and somebody has asked a question and nobody raises their hand? Or, uh, or even even better, um, this one's really personal, Bob. Um, we're I, we're going out to dinner, and I go, hey, where do you guys want to go eat tonight? Now, look, I if my wife is listening, like, look, I know you have an opinion. It's okay, it's okay to share it. <laughs> it, and I and I can guarantee that my daughter does. But sometimes, sometimes we don't we don't share, and we and we are silent. And as a result of that, there are some things, there are some implications for that. But the benefits of this are that companies that focus on psychological safety and that make psychological safety a priority, they just have less turnover. They have higher levels of engagement. They're more productive. They're less stressed. And they, as a result, have higher levels of overall life satisfaction. And that shouldn't be a surprise that there's, there's more happiness, there's more life satisfaction, and there's less stress because we're not worrying about gosh, am I doing the right thing? Am I, is someone judging me right now? Am I in a place where I belong? And those, when that's not a part of something that I have to worry about or consciously think about all the time, it opens up other areas for me to pour energy into. And that's why we see less, turn, less turnover, more engagement, more, more productivity. The, and as a result of that, I think we also see, um, 
upticks in innovation and creativity. People who work in psychologically safe environments are more likely to be innovative, and they're also more likely to be creative. At home, and I'd love to, to talk about that that corner of it for a second, because I think it's so important to many of us. At home, psychological safety builds confidence and trust within my familial unit, whatever that unit might look like. It grows compassion. It grows a sense of understanding. It encourages everybody to speak up. And if somebody's in trouble or they need something, in those kinds of familial units where there's a sense of psychological safety, we can we can lean in and help because someone's telling us about it. I mean, as a father, that is something that I am thinking about all the time with my daughter. Like, how do I create the kind of environment that when she needs to talk to me that she knows that she can? And it it means normalizing difficult conversations sometimes. It means it means being willing to say I love you enough to say this. I care enough about you to intervene here. Or there's also a sense of accountability with it, right? Where um, psychological safety is about knowing where our boundaries are and ensuring that those boundaries remain intact. So these things are okay. But when we deviate outside of those, these things are not okay. I'll go back to your meeting example for a second to connect it to the workplace. We've seen, we've all probably seen bad behavior in meetings, or we've seen bad um, interactions between colleagues. I think it's really important to say, hey, 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 that right there is outside the bounds of what we're willing to accept as behavior here. We got to do something different. And it means encouraging those things that stay within those boundaries. Hey, here we treat people with a sense of dignity. Gosh, and I, I saw you, I saw you call on Bob, and and man, I I saw him light up when he knew his idea was something that the team was going to lean into. Those kinds of moments, those are cumulative moments. They build for us over time. It's there's huge, huge benefits when it comes to this. And and overall, I, I think just to kind of put a bow on this that happier people are generally healthier. And our research at the University of Louisville continues to show that. On several occasions, I've heard author Patrick Lencioni speak about building effective teams. Mm. And one thing he talks about is how vulnerability-based trust is one of the most important conditions in building psychological safety. He says, and I quote, vulnerability-based trust is the kind of trust where people can and will genuinely say things to one another like, I don't know the answer. I need help. I think I really messed this up, or I'm sorry, what I said yesterday was totally out of line. He says that when human beings can be that vulnerable with each other, it completely changes the dynamics of a team. How does being vulnerable build psychological safety on a team, and why is it so important? Well, well, I want to I want to connect back to something that is um, probably deeply personal and and vulnerable for anybody who might be listening uh, to the podcast today, and that is what happens when someone says I'm sorry. It's a re- I think that's a really interesting moment, right? Where someone someone trusts you enough and and trusts the environment enough to come back to say. Hey, I'm sorry I messed this up. I just wanted to apologize. When when someone does those kinds of things, when we create the kinds of environments that allow those kinds of conversations to happen, we're creating a sense of psychological safety. And a part of that is being vulnerable in the moment. Oftentimes this takes reflection, right? Like 
I may go home and on my drive home, I'm thinking like, man, I could have handled that better. I need to let that person know that I'm sorry. I think, I think those two words are some of the most underutilized and most powerful words that we can use as leaders when something doesn't go the way that we hoped it could go, or if we could have handled that situation a little bit differently. And role modeling that behavior allow it gives psychological permission to be vulnerable, which creates psychological safety. And so leaders have to role model this. Parents have to role model this. Employees have to role model this. This isn't this isn't something that goes that it's just it's a top it's a top down thing. Like, well, my leader's not doing that. Well, I still have a sense of responsibility for the people that are on my team to make sure that they know that they belong. And I may not be the leader by title, but I can encourage anybody on my team. I can circle back with somebody and be like, hey, I'm sorry I did this. You know, I, I messed this up. You know, how how do we make this better? Those two things are incredibly powerful. And I'm going to circle back to that idea of psychological permission. When we do these kinds of things, when we intentionally create environments of vulnerability-based trust, we intentionally create arenas that are psychologically safe and where people can flourish. Is, is, it, is it possible for someone to be too vulnerable if you open up to your team about a, a problem or an issue that you're facing, isn't there a fear that people might judge you or your ability to do your job? You know, this is something I, I've thought a, a lot about. The, the answer to that is yes. I think it is possible to, to classically overshare information. And a leader's got to have the ability to read the room. But I think what we're talking about here is is saying, here's how I'm feeling in the moment. Yet, listen, this is hard. Maybe we need to deliver some some challenging news or or maybe something's really exciting. There's something amazing happening. And we're like, I am so excited about this. Sharing personal challenges and issues should should probably be reserved for those kinds of environments where that's appropriate to do so. Oversharing and vulnerability are two totally different things. Sometimes we overshare so that we don't have to be vulnerable. I think being vulnerable is saying, look, I'm hurting too, or this is hard for me, or I'm really excited about this, or this is going to change the trajectory of our careers. This is game changing. Um, but being vulnerable is being in that moment. It is, it is sitting with that person and it's not solving their problems. It's not coming up with solutions to help them do that. It isn't telling them what to do. It is sitting in the moment with the person. Um, Brene Brown talks a lot about this in her, her book, Dare to Lead, one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. And um, she talks about uh, traveling with a colleague who was going to miss a very important game, athletic competition from one of her daughters. And they did everything they could to get home, everything they could to get home, but they are stuck in this airport. And Brene talks about how the woman is sitting in the airport and she's just crying. And so Brene goes over and she doesn't say, hey, I know how the, I know how this feels. I've had to miss events in my life too. Oh, yeah, this is terrible. No, she looks at her and says, this is hard and I'm sorry. And she just sits with her. And that's being vulnerable in the moment with someone. That's the power of what that looks like. In these times when our behavioral health is 
major concern are our mental health, anxiety, stress, instability, and fear at all-time highs. Yeah. I would guess that psychological safety is even more important than ever. Yes. Uh, in a word, the mental health, anxiety, stress, instability, fear, it is, it's all around us. And so behavioral health is a is an elevated area that I think people are thinking a lot more about these days. There's no doubt about it. And in the workplace, 89% of employees from uh, this research came from the Pew Research Center. 89% of employees believe that psychological safety in the workplace is essential, and it ranks as one of the top qualities and behaviors for corporate leaders. I think about what happens when we work and live in places where we can, we can lean into this idea of psychological safety. It it provides an opportunity where perhaps stress is reduced, anxiety is reduced, instability isn't so unstable. And I think, I think part of that is I'm, I'm going to go back to that idea of belonging. Um, I'm reminded of a time where my daughter and I were outside together. And we were uh, picking up sticks. And I know that's everyone's favorite thing to do outside. And um, and I told her, I said, if you fill up this bucket, I'll pay you a dollar per bucket, which is a pretty, pretty reasonable rate for you know picking up sticks. And I said, I'll help you. I'll help you do your first bucket, and then I'm going to go do some other things on, on the other side of the yard. And she was like, That sounds great, Dad. I'd love to do that. And so we start picking up sticks, we start picking up sticks, and we get about half the bucket full. And then um, I say, hey, I'm going to go over here and do this other thing. She immediately stops She because she doesn't belong. There's no sense. Like we can do hard things when we know we trust our team or when there are people alongside us. We can, we can do things that are difficult. We can do things we may not want to do like pick up sticks or have difficult conversations when we believe that somebody is in the arena with us in the moment with us we can do anything but when we feel like we're isolated which is the opposite of psychological safety and the opposite of belonging anxiety is super high stress is super high fear is super high but when we're with people who we know love us and care for us and value us and see us we can do anything. And I think that's why psychological safety becomes so important of an idea, not only in the workplace, but also at home. Totally agree. Okay, so let's, let's get down on the weeds here. Talk about how we cultivate psychological safety at work and even at home. Yeah. So part of this is about understanding roles and responsibilities. It's, it's about understanding and having clarity in those, uh, in those areas, but also how they connect to this idea of purpose. So I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Here's what I'm doing. And here's how this matters. This is why this matters. I think it's also important for leaders to role model and to set that tone and to give that sense of psychological permission to be vulnerable in the moment, to, um, to create psychologically safe environments, to be curious, to ask questions, maybe to even exhibit a, like a tolerance for mistakes. Like, yes, this happened. Let's, let's think about how we can avoid this next time. How we react in the moment 
will be what people remember the next time that comes up. And so if my leader flies off the handle when I make a mistake, guess what? I trust that. I trust that every time I make a mistake, I'm going to get yelled at. I, if, same thing at home, right? I, if I respond negatively to my family or I, I fly off the handle about something, the next time that comes up, they trust that that's the response they're going to see. And so I think it becomes really important in being bold in exhibiting a sense of vulnerability, admitting and being able to come back and say, I'm sorry, admit when I've made a mistake. I think people need to demonstrate that first before we can expect that from other people. And if we're not willing to demonstrate that, I don't think we can expect that on the other side. Because if I can't do it, and if a leader can't do it, then nobody else is going to follow behind that. I think inclusivity is critical. Making sure that the that are there voices in the room that have not traditionally been in the room that we need to make sure in the room? Are there are there people who have ideas and they're not speaking up? Why? How can how do I make sure that I'm hearing everyone, even those who may not be comfortable speaking up? And that means finding different ways to help them elevate their voice. Because if you've if you've traditionally not spoken up in meetings or you've traditionally felt like you were not a part of these conversations, well, inviting you into the room isn't going to magically make you feel psychologically safe. And so we have got to, A, build that, and two, find other avenues. Maybe it's uh, having an outside meeting. Hey, um, we're coming into this meeting. I'd really love to hear some of your ideas. I want you to, to know um, I've got your back here. I think we have to watch our reactions. I think we have to make sure that we're not judging. We have to be intentional in those moments, demonstrating empathy to tap into the emotions that people are feeling. And it connects back to our very first episode, Bob, where we talk about compassion. Compassion where people feel cared for. Whether I'm a manager or a leader or a parent, I care enough about this to have a difficult conversation. I care enough about this to be vulnerable myself. I care enough about this to admit a mistake. Focusing on a place of dignity and empathy. I think about that idea of dignity being fundamental for psychological safety. I think also encouraging people to ask for help, making sure that we're not waiting, we're not we're not distanced, but we're leaning into our team. We're leaning into our families. We know what's going on. And then lastly, culture becomes critical. Culture becomes critical. Like, look, some cultures around the world have a sense of a high uncertainty avoidance, like perhaps Germany or Japan, meaning that they prefer a much more structured and defined environment. They value stability. I And I understand that. I also value stability. They value formal rules, social norms. And then there are countries that have low uncertainty avoidance, very much like the US or Denmark, where there are more informal and unstructured environments. I think what we're seeing is that psychological safety may be more prominent in those cultures that have high uncertainty avoidance, where individuals can be culturally perhaps predisposed to avoid risk-taking. That being said, and I've spoken all over the world, I've spoken in South Korea, I've spoken in China, I've spoken in Latin America and Panama, I've spoken in the UK. And, and here's what I've taken away from that time, that no matter where I am in the world, everybody wants to know that they belong. 
Everybody wants to know that their work has a sense of purpose. Everybody wants to know that what they do matters and that they matter to their teams. And I think that's an important takeaway for leaders across the world. We know that managers have a lot of the responsibility in creating a psychologically safe environment. Uh, what responsibility does everybody else at the table have? Yeah, I, I, I think it's everybody's responsibility. Um, I, I think that we may often think of this as a top-down thing. Like, oh, that's my leader's job. My leader's job is to set the tone for this. No, no, that I can't. I can't divorce myself from my responsibility to make sure that my teammates are okay. And so this goes, um, this goes upways and downways and sideways and crossways and all of the ways because we each have a sense of ownership when it comes to creating the kind of culture that we want to live in, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's on an athletic team. We have responsibility to to be appropriately vulnerable in the moment, to sit with someone, to say things like, I'm sorry, to create a sense of psychological safety, to celebrate with people. You know, I love um, I love the idea of leaning into celebrations. And I think sometimes on a team, if I'm being honest with you, uh, when I early in my career, if someone won an award or if someone uh, got a really great uh, something like a research paper published, maybe if I'm being honest with you today, maybe my first reaction was bitterness or jealousy. Like, oh man, how'd they do that? How, they're no better than I am. Why can't I do those things? And I've really challenged myself over the last decade to lead with joy instead. And, and I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm not the president of our university. I, 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 I don't lead our college, but I can lead with joy. And when I lead with joy with someone in their moment, that changes the situation. And so I think everybody has a sense of responsibility. And that's what I love about this. Everybody can. It's, it's an intentional choice to lean in and lead with a sense of psychological safety in the moment with the people that are around us. Part of that is is being vulnerable, like we were talking about, and it's not an easy thing to do for a lot of people. It doesn't come naturally. What are just one or two small steps that a person can take toward opening up and becoming more vulnerable? I think the, I think the first thing is um, awareness and reflection. So I, I have to be in tune enough with how I am interacting with the environment that I'm in and being able to say and notice when um, perhaps I make a comment that rubs somebody the wrong way and and not saying things like, um, well, I don't mean to be judgmental, but I mean, we know what comes after that, or I don't mean to be mean, but um, I think being aware of our own situation, I think it starts first here uh, individually. And the awareness, the reflection becomes really, really important. I think the second thing is being comfortable with maybe instability. It's being comfortable with difficult situations. It's being comfortable celebrating someone else's success and not mine. It is 
it's kind of an inside outside shift, if you will. My friend Rob Holman, who is uh, one of the world's great leadership speakers and experts, talks about leadership as an inside outside process where at some point I shift my perspective from me, me, me to you, you, you. And that inside out shift, what I'm finding is transformational in moments. And, I, and that comes from awareness and reflection. And so those would be the two things I think I would say is I do think it, it is about awareness and it is about a shift that we make. I mean, I think about even as myself as a dad, like I care so deeply about my family. I mean, I care deeply about my wife and my daughter that I would much rather elevate their successes than anything I would ever do. An inside out shift as a parent or as a spouse perhaps is easier than it might be as a leader or as a manager. But I think that comes with self-reflection and a sense of awareness of how I am impacting and influencing those around us. What are some things that leaders, all of us might be doing wrong that could be inhibiting a psychologically safe work environment or home environment? Boy, this is a, this is a hard question. Um, I think that I think there are, I think there are a couple of things, but they're not they're honestly they're not fun to talk about. I think when we belittle people, when we um, when we put ourselves above others, uh, we put our 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 sense of safety or our our sense of comfortability above others. I think that can I could inhibit psychological safety. I think I think putting limits and limitations on gifts and talents. Um, I'm reminded of conversations I've had even in my own life where people have said, oh, you can never, you can never do that. That's not possible. Um, and in my mind, like, I'm like, yeah, I, I think I can, but now I'm not so sure. And I think I go back to the idea of ignoring people um, and that being such a traumatic thing to happen at work. And so on the, on the flip side of that, I think noticing people leading in with joy, leading with joy, um, uh, being aware enough of, of my own situation and surroundings to notice when I've done something wrong and being willing to go back to say, I'm sorry. And I have seen people use that word, those two words, I'm sorry. And it changed everything because it's so unexpected. It's particularly unexpected these days. Right now it is status quo to just throw somebody else under the bus. But when I can say I'm sorry, it changes everything because it's so transformational and unexpected in the moment. And we're like, oh, wow, okay, this is different. So I think some of those those things that are not so fun to talk about are the ways in which people are um, unintentionally. And I, and I will use that word. I think that's important. I think people are unintentionally doing these things and they don't mean to, but it, we fix those things with a sense of perhaps awareness and reflection. Yeah. I mean, I, I can think back on many times where I've heard a leader say, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your opinions. Yeah. And then they do 75% of the talking, which completely sends the wrong message to the team, right? Agreed. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Or I have so, an open door policy and my door is always closed. <laughs> or the exactly. Door's yes. Or the door's physically open, but we all know that door's not open. <laughs> So, Brad, a lot is, is spoken of these days about unconscious biases. Um, how do 
unconscious biases affect psychological safety? Yeah, Bob, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think unconscious biases can impact psychological safety by unintentionally uh, roadblocking well-intended uh, ideas and outcomes. And so, you know, for example, um, perhaps some listeners have been interrupted while they've been uh, while they've been talking and, and someone, um, kind of over explains something to them, perhaps someone based upon an unconscious bias might speak to someone in a different way. They may not know that they're doing it. it's unconscious. They're unconsciously biased about it, but they, um, but they are creating an environment that is almost saying, um, there's a sense of less than, or you you need my help to do this. You need my support to do this. And so I think it's, I think it's really important to connect to this idea of psychological safety back into diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives within any organization. And how I see others, how I view and experience the world and knowing this could impact my ability to create environments at work and at home that are psychologically safe. Absolutely. And, and speaking diversity, uh, of course, is so important to any team. If you have a team that is mostly made up of people who are the same age group, the same race, the same gender, even religious beliefs, you're missing that diversity of thoughts and backgrounds. And uh, that can be very important to uh, the, the, the value of diversity is hearing from everybody. I could agree with you more. And the research on this is pretty clear that teams that are diverse in a variety of different ways are oftentimes higher performing teams because there are strengths and gifts that other people bring into conversations and ideas and innovations and just ways of seeing the world that help us be a little more fully rounded in our conversations and in the ways in which we lead and we work together. And so I could not agree more that diversity on a team in its many, many intersectional forms is critical to success, absolutely critical, and to creating environments that are psychologically safe. What should a team member do if they feel they are in a psychologically unsafe environment? I, get help. I, I think talking with someone becomes really important and, and talking to somebody that, that, that we trust. And that may be different people in different contexts. So at work, you may have someone that you trust enough to be like, Hey, let me just run some things by you. Like I, I have somebody like that at work. And recently I was in a meeting, somebody said something, it kind of caught me off guard for a second. And I, I kind of I kind of wobbled in my thinking and a couple of hours later I called this colleague and I was like, Hey, I just want to check myself here. Is what I thought I heard what I heard? And she said, no, 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 that, no, actually here's what I think happened in that meeting. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's, that's really good. But if somebody doesn't feels like they are in a psychologically unsafe environment, I think it becomes important to talk to somebody and, and somebody who can, who you trust to be honest with you about the situation. In some places, if, um, if you're in a psychologically unsafe place, I, perhaps reaching out to a mental health professional would be a really healthy thing to do. And I love how we are destigmatizing mental health and we're elevating that to a conversation of, just as much as I would 
encourage somebody to go to their physical doctor if they're physically sick, that we reach out to mental health professionals and we normalize talking about our feelings. Absolutely. And at HPE and at other companies, uh, I, I think the company's EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, is a great place to start. Um, the, the people there have the expertise that can really help you. It can also help people leaders who want to address psychological safety. So Brad, uh, we've talked about how you can apply these same principles at home or at work. To close this episode, I'd like to ask specifically about what psychological safety looks like at home. Wow. This, uh, so this is personal for me uh, in many ways um, because I think about my role. I think about all the roles that I have, um, perhaps the hats that I wear, and perhaps there isn't a more important role to me personally than that of being a part of my family unit. And when environments are psychologically unsafe at home, I think what you see is disconnected families. You see families who don't talk. You see, um, you see manifestations of behaviors that someone may not be proud of. Um, and so oftentimes, uh, since we're talking about work and home here and, and kind of blurring those lines, we often we often give the worst to the people we love the most. Like I, I, I reserve perhaps my, the best time of my day uh, for my work time. And, and sometimes my family gets my leftovers. Mm. And psychologically unsafe environments, I think what we see is dysfunction, disconnection, disengagement. Um, and on the flip side of that, I think about what a psychologically safe environment looks like from my perspective, a dad who has a 12-year-old daughter, right? I mean, being able to talk about things that happened to her at school and what happens on her soccer team. And then when my wife comes home, who's an educator, being able to, to listen to her. Again, it's about putting other people's needs above my own. So I might be really tired, but man... I really want to hear about the soccer game, or I really want to hear about this meeting you had with your principal at, at school today. I, I, I want to, I want to hear more about that. And when we have those kinds of things, remember this is cumulative. This builds for us over time. It feels sudden, but it's a gradual build. When we have those kinds of things, we have loving families. We have families who know how to forgive each other when there are mistakes that get made. We have families who engage with each other. We have families that'll drive two hours away to go see a soccer game to cheer on our daughter because we love that person more than anything else in the world. And so psychological safety means being able to have the kinds of conversations that we need to have to ensure that our home is a healthy place and um, that we belong. Right. So this principle of belonging is just as important at home as it is as work. Look, I want to know that I belong at work, that when I walk into a room, that I'm I'm in a spot where people see me and they value me. I think the same thing is at home. Absolutely. And it's something that we all want. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Brad, thank you so much. It is such a great joy talking to you, and it, and it was so much fun having you back on the podcast. Let's do this again soon. Bob, this was amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time. We know that building psychological safety on any team will bring out the best in that team. All humans have a natural radar for recognizing threats. We listen for cues and look at expressions when we speak to each other. We care about how others respond to what we're saying, especially if there's someone at the table with more authority than we have, or if we think there's an impending threat we may not speak up at all. Ensuring a psychologically safe environment is the most important aspect of building a successful team and driving creativity and innovation. Building trust makes team members more likely to raise important concerns and ideas and it's one of the most important aspects of building compassion and understanding in a family. There are many great resources in the HPE Global Wellness Program that are designed to help team members and their family members. As we mentioned, HPE's Employee Assistance Program has experts who can help you address psychological safety. My sincere thanks to Dr. Brad Shuck for being with us today, and as always, thank you for taking the time to listen. Until next time, be well and take care. Let's talk again soon.